0: Genesis 25, that's where we'll be today. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, familiarity breeds contempt? You heard that? Um, I am a um, Mississippi State fan, as most of you know. And so what I have learned is sometimes I have contempt for my Mississippi State Bulldogs, which means I, I want to give scorn toward them. I uh, sometimes think they're worthless. Uh, That is the way I feel many times, that's the way I felt last night driving in from Starkville at 1 a.m. after expecting a big win, uh, because what I learned was last week we beat the team with the longest NCAA winning streak, uh, beating LSU, and this week we lost to the team with the longest SEC losing streak, so uh, hey, welcome to being a Mississippi State fan. So I had some sort of contempt uh, for them for sure. Um, Hey, so open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. That's where we will be. Um, uh, Before I do, uh, just a a quick announcement. I wanted to let you know there's a place for you to get involved. Uh, It's one of the things we want you to do here at Refuge is to be involved. We want this to be your church. Uh, This is not my church. This is God's church, but he calls us all to do something, to be part of his church. He said, we'll be a better church if you use the gifts that God's given you in this church family. And so we want you to get involved. And so one of the places we need some help is in our band. Our band. Does a great job every week, right? I mean, they do. They're gifted and talented musicians, uh, and so if you've got any type of giftings or talents to sing or play an instrument or anything at all like that, by all means, see Jeff Reese. He is—he's uh, leading our band and our music ministry right now, and so. Uh, uh, get a chance to see him, or let some of us know, and we'll tell you how you might could get plugged in from there. And maybe it's not banned. There, there's lots of other places to get involved. And you're kind of new to Refuge, and go, "Hey, what do I do? How do I do these kind of things?" Let us know. We'll show you for sure uh, how to get involved. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 19 is where we will pick up. You'll hear some familiarity in this and uh, this text as we get a little further into the story. Uh, you'll probably know exactly where we are. Here's what the text says. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Ar- Ar- Aramean of Padam Aran, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if, if, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. In, not in her room, in her womb. <laughs> In the room in her womb. Uh, Verse 25. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old uh, when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that stew. He said, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die Of what good is, of what use is a birthright to me. And Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so now if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this story about Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, you've you've at least heard those names of the story uh, behind Jacob and Esau. And so uh, like I just said, this very thing, familiarity breeds contempt. And so the danger in hearing uh, stories that we know is that you'll just go on autopilot, And so you've made it here, and you've made it to church gathering today, and now you've got your device in your hand, and you look like you're on your Bible app, but you're actually trolling some social media. I know how this goes. I can see you all, Uh, uh, but we have a tendency to just kind of check out and check the box and say, I I know this story, so I'm just going to go on autopilot. I just want to encourage you. Uh, not to go on autopilot today. Don't, uh, don't just do that, but listen to what it is that the Holy Spirit of God has to say to each of us today. I'll encourage you, if you're watching online, to do the same thing. Don't just tune out because you think you know this story, but listen and pray. Let me pray for that very specific thing for us right now. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, grant to each of us that you will teach us what you want us to learn about you today. Amen. All right, so let's see uh, what the text has to say. Verse 20, uh, here's, what, um, here's what was written. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Patamaran, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. All right, so remember who Isaac is? Remember what he was called? he's the son of something. Begins with a P. Yeah, promise. Yeah. I was going to say, begins with a P, ends in promise. Promise. Yeah. Uh, so he is the son of promise. Uh, so that's who he was and that's who, how, how he was named. And, and so what was that promise? Do you remember what the promise was? I'll tell you what the promise was. The promise was that God was going to bless him and his descendants through through him, right? He was going to bless Abraham through his descendants and that was going to come through Isaac. So he was the son of promise and there would be many descendants that would come from him and that was God's promise to him. And so right off the bat, we see that uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is what? Come on now. Yeah, barren. So she's barren. And I would encourage you, again, if you're a writer in your Bible, underline that because it's very important here. She was barren, yet God had made a promise to them. But this was such a difficult thing for them to hear. I'm, I'm barren. I, 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 I can't bear children. I mean, some of you have had to deal with that before. Some people in our church family have had to deal with barrenness before and it's it 's painful it 's difficult it is it 's gut wrenching whenever you want to have children and you want to grow your family it 's such a devastating news sometimes for couples to to hear it 's an emotional time uh, to when that kind of thing happens in a family it's a it 's a physical thing that that women are, are are have to face on their own to go i can 't bear children even though my husband and I want to bear children together and, and sometimes it's a spiritual thing that we get into a spiritual wasteland because we we blame god or we point our fingers at god and all these kind of things and so there's dangers to slide into those places and if you're here today and you're struggling with that by all means don't do that alone you don't have to go through that alone you don't have to walk through that alone Uh, we talk about living like a family here and we want to live like a family here and so if that's you and you need help or you need people to come around you by all means allow us to do that very thing but it says that uh Uh, Rebecca was barren. So what did Isaac and Rebecca do? They prayed. Look, Look what the text says. You don't have to guess. The text tells us what they do. They prayed. They prayed because they trusted that what? Say that with me. God is able. God is able to do amazing and mighty things. More than we can ever imagine or think, God is able to do bigger things than you can even put your mind around. That big thing that's in in front of you, or you think that you can't get through, God is able to to push you through that, to get you on the other side, to get you through it. He'll take you all the way through it many times. And I'm telling you that God is able to do more abundantly than we can ever imagine or think. They they prayed because they uh, they believed that God had promises to them. And what does God always do? Say this with me God keeps His promises. Any promise that God has ever made, has he ever not done one of them? No, he is, he keeps them all. God keeps his promises. He doesn't break them. He is not a promise breaker. He keeps them all the time. And they prayed because they trusted that where God guides, God will provide. Say that with me. God will provide. That's what he does. God gives to his children abundantly and generously, and he is the one who provides the things that he promises. And so I want you to always keep that in mind. And so then what happens next? Here's what it says. The Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah conceived. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. What did Isaac do? He prayed. Why did he pray? because God answers prayers, because he trusted God, because God had promised him something. And so he went to the one who could do something about it. Yeah. He prayed and he said, God, I need you to act. I need you to do something in this. And, and and it was God who was the one who was doing the work. Man, it is so important that we pray. Husbands, listen, you need to pray for your wives. Mm-hmm. You, you, you need to pray for your wives on a regular, ongoing basis. If you don't know what to pray for them for, ask them what to pray for them for. Wives, you need to pray for your husband's. Your husbands need it. We're a jacked up bunch of people, uh, us dudes are. And we need you to pray for us regularly. Uh, And some of us are more jacked up than others are. And so we need you to cover us in your prayers. Parents, pray for your kids. Our kids are just inundated with things today that you and I never had to deal with. But our kids need our prayers. They need us to cover them with our prayers that we need to beseech the throne of heaven and ask the God of the universe that can do anything that he chooses to do. And he uses prayer many times to get us on what he's doing. Pray for your kids. Kids, pray for your mama and daddy. Your parents need it. They're facing just as many things like you are today. They're different, they're, but they're facing just as many things today. So pray for your kids. And then the lastly, pray for your enemies. Wow. Hang on, preacher. Yeah. Pray for your enemies. Now, preacher, I could get on with the first four. Praying for your husbands, pray for your wives. Wives, pray for your husbands. Parents, pray for your kids. Kids, pray for your parents. But pray for your enemies? Is that what we should do? Yeah. Should we? Why should we do that? Oh, there's a Bible verse. <laughs> Matthew 5, 44. What does it say? Read it with me. Love your enemies and what? Pray, pray for those who persecute you. Wow. <sighs> Who thinks this is hard? Let me see, who did not raise your hand? Because you're lying. This is very, very difficult to pray for your enemies. It's, It's very difficult to pray for your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. They may not even be your enemy, but they're persecuting you for whatever reason. We don't know what those things are, but you're being persecuted by somebody right now. The scripture doesn't tell us to return vitriol for vitriol. It says, pray for those people who are persecuting you. James had something to say about this too. This is not the ESV. This is actually the New Living Translation that says this. Confess your sins to each other and what? Pray "Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's the New Living Translation of James 5.16. Hey, you need to pray for this church. Here's what we're doing. We're believing God to do a renewal within us right now. Hey, look, uh, coronavirus has put us where it's put us. It is what it is. There's no changing it. There's no running away from it. It just is what it is. And sometimes, or not sometimes, but all throughout, all my pastor friends that I talk to are seeing the same thing that we're seeing at Refuge, just an upheaval in their churches. They're seeing few people come that actually gather together. Many people are watching online, which we have the technology to do that. But people are getting out of the habit of coming to church, and you may be one of those too. And I'm not casting these stones. It just is what it is. That's just where we are today. And so there's an upheaval that's going on. So we've said, what is God doing? God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't, he didn't, coronavirus didn't take him off guard. So what is God doing? And we believe that God is in the middle of, in the process of a renewal for his church family. And so we believe that where God is creating holy unrest is for us to desire more. For you and me to desire more about what it means to be in family with the creator of the universe, to be a child of the king, to desire him more, to desire to be more about the work of the kingdom. We believe that God is calling us into this. So you pray, church. Ask God to stir in you a holy discontent about the way you've lived your life already. A holy discontent to say, I've lived X number of years, whatever those number of years are, and I don't want to keep living like this. I want to be on, the, on whatever it is that God is calling us to. I want to be on that. For whatever years I got left, because you don't know how many you got left. For whatever years I've got left, I want to be on this. Pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit will fall on us and ignite us into this movement that we've never seen before. Now, I'm not talking about some freaky something. I'm not talking about some uh, false uh, religious narrative of Holy Spirit fire falling. I'm talking about real Holy Spirit fire falling on a people that he, that he ignites us to be about the work of the kingdom. That's what I hope to happen. That's what I'm believing to happen, that's what I'm praying to happen. So you pray church. Can you do that with me? All right, back to the text. All right, so Isaac prayed and God granted his wife Rebecca a child. And so the same God that granted Rebecca a child is the same God that I'm talking about us praying to. The same God that took a barren womb and opened it up and, and said, yeah, you're going to have children is the same God that you and I pray to today. Our text goes on and talks about what, what happened once God began to answer, the, answer her prayer. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so Rebecca had some questions about what's going on with these babies. Uh, What in the world is happening here within my belly? Uh, So she had like a WrestleMania going on in the womb. uh, uh, And she was like, I need to know what is happening here within, uh, within my tummy. And so the Lord gave her a direct answer. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, you've got two nations in your belly. Uh, they're not going to be besties uh, go, go once, they, once they get older. Uh, one is going to be stronger than the other. And as a matter of fact, just to throw this in for free, the older will serve the younger. And so that's the message that the Lord gave her at this time. And and so the Lord's message was very direct. It was clear. It was concise. And it was just right to the point. It's very specific about what was going to happen. And and so I just want to tell you about those kind of things as you're trying to inquire of the Lord, as you go into times for you to pray, I just want to tell you a couple of things about what the Lord will do. Uh, The Lord will not say anything contrary to his word. Okay, so if you're looking for something maybe you've searched the scriptures and you, and you see something in the scripture and you go, well, I, clearly God says this in his word. And I, that really applies to me right now. You go, well, I'm gonna pray and see if God says something different than what he said in his word. Do you think it'll be different than what's in the scripture? No, it won't be. He will not do things that are contrary to his word. So if you're looking for something different than what the scripture says, that's not gonna come from God. It might come from a different spirit but it's not going to come from the God. Okay. Tracking with me there. And, and, and so, uh, and some of these things, uh, he will not give you uh, a direction that is contrary to that. He, but he will give you discernment and he will give you direction, but it will always be in line with his word. Okay. It won't be contrary to this. And, and so what I want to say is this, the Lord just wants us to pray. It's what he says here. He wants us to pray. This is all through the scripture. I'm going to read you some of these. Uh, the scripture is just filled with instructions from God's people to pray. Matthew chapter 6 says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and that street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, uh, they have received their reward. But when you pray, stand up and make a big spectacle out of it. Is that what it says? Stand up and make sure that you do it in a way that draws attention to yourself. Is that what the scripture says? No, it says, when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. This is not about making a big deal so that people think you're super spiritual when you pray. Prayer is about getting alone with the creator of the universe. And and Matthew said, go find a place that is very inconspicuous and get alone with God and pray and listen to him. And And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do. He's like, you don't have to pray some big eloquent words. The Gentiles do that. They're just throwing all these words out to make themselves look good. You don't have to pray like that. He says, for they do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The problem is, we miss the most important part of that. What is it? According to his will, we go with our list and we go, God, here's the list. We have not because we ask not, so here's my list. And I'm asking, prayer is not about getting God over on your agenda. Prayer is about getting me over onto God's agenda aligning my heart with what he's doing. That's what prayer is. And so when you pray, yes, pray, ask. We, we, we have not, we, that scripture is also true. We have not because we ask not, but pray first to get your heart aligned with what it is that God wants you to do and be. Okay. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Romans 15.12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You will endure tribulation if you are a follower of Jesus. And the scripture says, to how, how much should we be in prayer? What's the word that I just said? Be constant in prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Here's my sidebar and my political statement for the day. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, you ought to pray for, pray for your president. And every leader that we have, your mayor, your school board especially, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but but seriously, in a hotly contested, divided nation over politics, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, you should pray for your president. And whoever gets elected in this next session, whether it's a Democrat or whether, if, if it's a Democrat that gets elected, Joe Biden gets elected, all you Republicans better pray for Joe Biden. And if it's uh, uh, Donald Trump that gets elected, all you Democrats better pray for Donald Trump. As Christians... That's what we're called to do. Off the box, let's be people that pray. Let's don't be people that are just known for our political rhetoric. Let's be people that are known for our gospel stance. Verse twenty three, Lord said to her, "Two nations in your womb." Two people shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And, and so what God said was very simple. You're going to give birth to twins, and the twins would each father nations, and one will be greater than the other, and the younger will serve the older. And so there's a Jewish legend that says this, that Jacob and Esau tried to kill each other in the womb. And this legend says that uh, every time Rebekah would, ent- would like, get near an idol's altar, that Esau would get excited in the womb. And every time they would get near a place uh, where the Lord was worshipped, then Jacob would get excited. It sounds like a good old wives' tale. And so I don't really believe that that's actually true. It's just something that's just some tradition that was up there. We don't see anything in the scripture that tells us uh, that particular thing. Uh, but we know that there were two people in the womb. Let's go on and see what the text says. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. You know, she had to be excited about that. Uh, Oh, look at this baby. Oh, hello. So they called his name Esau. (laughs) Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's hairy heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And so sure enough, there were two babies in there and, and God's word again was true. And, and so circumstances, uh, circumstances surrounding this birth, uh, were, uh, were really what, where their names came from. And I won't, for the sake of time, uh, I'm not going to get into it other than to say, uh, when you talk about Jacob, um, Jacob means heel catcher, and that's why he was named what he was named. Uh, But in that day, it had the idea of being a trickster, it had the idea of being a con man or a scoundrel or a rascal. A rascal. That Jacob the rascal. Uh, So it wasn't a compliment for that to be his name at the time your name may be Jacob today. I'm sure that wasn't why you were named Jacob, but that's why he was named Jacob at the time. So let's get back to this phrase in verse 23, the older shall serve the younger. And this is kind of important. So so God chose to go against the accepted pattern of the way that things should be of the younger serving the older. In Romans 9, 10 through 13, uh, the apostle Paul used this, a choice of Jacob over Esau before their birth to illustrate God's sovereign choice. I'm going to read you what he says in Romans 9. Nine, ten through thirteen. This is what uh, Paul wrote. Not only so. Uh, but also, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And so that's what we studied way back when we studied Romans, and it's referring to this particular text that we're going through in Genesis right now. Uh, And and so when we look back, we can think back to um, uh, Isaac, uh, uh, the choice of Isaac over Ishmael, and we can go, all right, well, that makes sense, right? Uh, From that whole story from Isaac and Ishmael, we make a lot of sense of that one. But his choice between Jacob and Esau, regarding which one would be the heir to God's covenant of salvation, uh, it was just as valid as him choosing Isaac over Ishmael although the Isaac Ishmael one made a lot more sense. Paul wrote that we just read that God's choice was not made on the performance of Jacob or Esau. He didn't choose them based off of what they had done or what they would do. The choice was made when they were not yet born nor having done any good or evil. And God announced this to Rebecca, what our text tells us today. Uh, He says that the older shall serve the younger, and he even said it again uh, in Malachi, the Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And Now some people object to this and some people really push back on this particular part of the text and that God making a choice before Jacob or Esau were even born. But the hate that God talks about in Malachi is having to do with his purpose of choosing them for the purposes that he had intended for them for one to become the heir of the covenant and one to not have the heir of the covenant. Talk about that in those kind of light. Uh, It can be seen that God might even feel like, it might feel like God hated one rather than the other. The real thought in Malachi 1 and real thought in Romans 9 is much more like I'm accepting one and I'm rejecting another when we talk about love and hate. Because Esau actually was a blessed man. I mean, Esau went on and actually his life seemed to be more blessed uh, than his brother Jacob, but when it came to the covenant, it could be rightly said that God hated Esau and loved Jacob. If you wrestle with the language of God hating someone, uh, a woman once said this to Charles Spurgeon, who is, in my opinion, probably the greatest preacher of all time, she said, I cannot understand why God said that he hated Esau. And Spurgeon replied and said this, That's not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is understanding how God could love Jacob. That's the hard part. How could he even love a sinful person like Jacob? When it comes to thinking about God choosing Our greatest error is considering the choices of God to think that God chooses for arbitrary reasons, that he just on a whim will choose something one way or another as if he had some random choice or there were just some senseless choices along the way. But God chooses according to his divine wisdom, according to his love, according to his goodness. And we're probably not going to be able to understand things like that. But when we have a text that teaches us that this is who God is and this is how God does things, we can't just dismiss that and go, well, I don't want to believe that part about God. Tracking with me, church? All right, let me keep going. Verse 27 says this. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so uh, just a quick sidebar that I'm not going to take a lot of time on. uh, There's many times that people have talked about, you know, um, uh, Jacob being a guy of the house, and maybe he had a little bit more effeminate characteristics because he was making soup and all that kind of stuff. I don't think the scripture talks about that at all. It just means that uh, Jacob was a little more calm. He, He was a more reserved, but a more calm person than Esau was. But not. Uh, don't think of it in, in masculine, effeminate ways. Uh, I don't think that's the way the text gives it to us at all. All right, let's keep going in that. I just wanted to say that for you, in case you've heard that before like I had. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, uh, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. That's exactly the way he said it. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what good is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So now we get to part of the text that we're a little bit more familiar with. And so we've heard this story before about Jacob and Esau. And remember what I told you that Jacob's name meant? Remember what some of those words were? Trickster. Trickster? Rascal, con man, what's the fourth one? Heel grabber, what's the S word? Scoundrel, yeah, so that's that's what his name means. So uh, in this, it was really on full display in this text, right? So it reminds me of like a shady salesman, uh, like I can only do this deal today, and if you act right now, then I'll make this happen. He's like, if you act right now, give me your birthright, I got a bowl of soup for you. Wait, you want to tell me your birthright? Let me go talk to my sales manager. You know you've seen that before. <laughs> Side note: My dad, uh, when I was a kid, and we would go to buy a vehicle, my dad was the worst because we would go to buy a vehicle, and he would find what he wanted on the lot, and he would go in and, and, and talk to the guy, and no matter what the price was, it didn't matter. Big Jim was always going to get up and go, yeah, I'll have to think about that, and just walk out. I mean, he would just walk out every time before he would ever go and buy a, a, a vehicle. Uh, that's what I think about when I was thinking about scoundrel and, you know, shady salespeople. Maybe me think of my dad doing that when I was a kid. Uh, anyway, all right, back, back to the text. So this pretty much sums up what happens in the text. So Jacob was cooking stew, and Esau said, give me some of that stew because I'm hungry. And he's like, give me your birthright. And he's like, I don't even care about my birthright right now because I'm really hungry. And he said, give me a birthright right now. Sign on the dotted line. And so he signs on the dotted line, he gives him some stew, and he eats, and he says uh, that Esau despised his birthright, or he showed contempt for his birthright, or he had scorn toward his birthright. Kind of like I have for Mississippi State right now, uh, but it was much more serious than that. But he had he, he despised his birthright at the time. Uh, remember, we saw that same kind of words were used when Sarah showed contempt toward Hagar. Same kind of words that were used. We remember that particular story. But what a disastrous turn of events! I mean, just a disastrous turn away. Uh, of events. Esau gave away something very precious to him. Uh, Esau gave away something very valuable to him. Uh, he gave away his birthright. And that was huge back in the day. Birthright in the Bible had everything to do with position and inheritance. And um, the, by birthright, the son inherited the leadership of the family once the patriarch dies. But Esau gave it away for a bowl of soup. I mean, how does this happen? And how does Esau make such a foolish decision? Well, I believe that Esau gave away his birthright for a couple of reasons. I I believe he was too busy you know, he'd been working in the field and he was just go, 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 go. I didn't have time to eat and that's why he came in so hungry. I was too busy. He was too distracted with everything else in the world to be thinking about his birthright. He was too tired because he said, I'm just going to die if I don't eat. So he was tired when he came in and he didn't have time to think about his birthright. He was too irritated at the time. He was like, just give it to me, whatever. I don't care. Just give me, uh, just give me something to eat. I'm not thinking about my birthright. He was too focused on the wrong thing. He was focused on just eating a stupid bowl of soup. He was too lazy at the time to think. He was too foolish to recognize the value of his birthright. It was his to have, it was his to keep, it was his to cherish, it was his to enjoy. It was his to pass down again. He gave it away for a bowl of soup. What do we give away? What do you and I give away regularly? We give away relationships. I've seen it enough in my 11 years of pastoring. Husbands and wife give away intimacy. Husbands and wife give away face-to-face time. Husbands and wife give away so much of themselves that God has given them one another and they just give it away. You may be giving it away now. God may have brought you here to hear this, this very thing today, is that you're giving away intimacy with one another for foolish things, we give away relationships with our kids. We give away relationships with our friends because we've got some false connection. I don't have my phone, but through electronics. I'd rather spend time with my cyber family than I would the woman that's sitting across from me. Watch out. I'd rather spend time playing some stupid game on a computer than I would interacting with the children that God's given me to raise. I'm too busy doing anything else to pay attention to the most important things in my life. That's what happened in our text. I've gotten so distracted with everything else that the thing that's most important in my life, my birthright, I'm giving it away for a stupid bowl of soup. We're just like Esau. Verse 29 says, he was exhausted, and he was hungry. When we're vulnerable, and we're weak, and we're distracted, and we're tired, we'll give up. We'll, we'll do weird things. If I'm that way, and I am come in, and I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and I'm exhausted, I'll go to the pantry, and I'm hungry. I'll eat about anything, and I'm looking for a you know, a bag of Doritos and a can of vine of sausages and seven-day-old whatever in the fridge. I don't care because I'm just tired. Same thing. He was exhausted and distracted and missed some really important stuff. Exhaustion weakens our defenses. Exhaustion lowers our senses to the things that are around us. Uh, exhaustion lowers our cognitive function for our brains to be able to think through what's important. Our discernment, our, our, to think about our future. And again, in our story, it happened with this birthright. We can look at it and go, how dumb. And This is foolish for him to give away his birthright for a bowl of soup. Something so valuable for a bowl of soup. But remember this. You and I have an enemy that will cajole us and con us and coerce us into the same pattern. See, today, Satan doesn't tell you and me that promiscuous sex will leave us with profound regret, we just give that away anyway. Satan doesn't tell us that alcohol abuse can leave us destitute. We just give ourself over to something else to numb us away anyway. Satan doesn't tell us that lust will enslave us. We give away something precious Anyway, Satan doesn't tell us that our anger will imprison us. Our anger that we show towards somebody else, it imprisons us. doesn't bother them, but our anger imprisons us and we give away our peace anyway. Satan always presents the bait and hides the hook. Esau was exhausted in this. And so never make a life altering decision when you're tired or hungry. That's just some practical advice in the scripture. Yeah. Never make a decision. I'm not talking about maybe sometimes, never make a decision when you are tired or, exa- or hungry or exhausted. Many times we can be too tired to notice the people in our house, that our kids are struggling that our kids are being influenced by some stupid Cardi B song. If you listen to Cardi B, kids, listen, delete her. That junk that she spews out of her mouth, literally, I believe, comes from the devil himself. My kids are watching this. Delete it. I know that sounds funny, but I'm not even kidding. It is junk. It is crap. I've got other words for it, too, that I'm not going to say from up here but it is absolutely garbage. Some of us are just like Esau. We're too busy to care about our birthright. I want you to listen to this. When I'm talking about revival, I'm talking about what I want God to do. We're too busy to care about our birthright. We're too busy with a billion other things than to care about the fact that Jesus has redeemed us. He has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He has adopted us into his family and he has given us marching orders to do one thing, to what? Make what? Disciples, go into the world, make disciples. We're too busy to do that. You're too busy to do that. You're too busy to do that. Too busy to care about the well-being of ourself and our family. Too consumed with things of this world. Willing to give up eternal things for temporary things, just like Esau, we give it all away. And we'll regret that decision later in life. So I'm here to speak straight forward to you. I want you to do this. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up. Satan is like a roaming lion, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. And if you think he's not coming after you, you're a fool. You get away from this. People who are listening, you may not need to listen because you've walked away from church already and you don't think it's important. You're putting yourself away from the group and so you're getting out there by yourself and you're setting yourself up to be devoured by the enemy. And so are some of you in here. Wake up. Secondly, look up from your soup bowl. Lift up your eyes, church. Pay attention. If there's anything that I wish you could get your head out of, it would be your phone. Get, that's your bowl of soup today. Your stupid device, my stupid device is our bowl of soup today. And we'll have our heads down in it while the world goes around us. And we'll, we'll have a conversation and somebody go, I don't care. Take it. Just give me some soup because I'm too busy doing this. Look up, get your head up. Be aware. Hang up your phone. Hang up on your work. I promise you that no matter what you think about your work, whenever you leave your work, you think you can't be replaced and they can't do this without me and if I don't do this extra work, then it's not gonna get done. You know what's gonna happen whenever you leave your job? They're gonna hire somebody else to do your job. You're not indispensable. Hang up on your work. I'm not saying quit. I'm just saying you got other things to do besides just work. Rise up, church. Even if you've never done it before, you're like, preacher, calm down. Uh, No, rise up, church. Rise up, people of God. When I'm talking about God is doing something and stirring in us and doing something here, he's calling you to rise up out of your slumber, for you to rise up out of your sleep, for you to rise up from your table and not give away the things that are important. Rise up, church. And then lastly, stand up. This is really to you men. Men, be a spiritual leader in your home. Don't abdicate your responsibilities. Stand up for what it is that God has called you to do. Stand up to be the leader that God has called you to be. Stand up in your home. If you don't know how to do that, then just ask us. We don't do it perfectly. I can promise you, I fail miserably regularly, but I can promise you, we'll try to do it together. We'll take the next step together. We'll ask God to do something that we can't do ourselves. Maybe you can't lead your family because you yourself need to be redeemed. You have no idea what following Jesus is about. You hear these words that I'm saying and there's nothing that's stirring within you. I'm going to tell you, then your heart's got to be dead to the spirit. And if your heart is dead to the spirit, then you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And if you move from this life into the next one, you will die and spend eternity in hell. And so my call to you today is that, if, that my prayer that I prayed for you today is that the Spirit of God would be awakening people to the gospel, that he would be stirring in his people and awakening someone to the truth of the gospel, that there is eternal life and there is hope and there is promise that is found in Jesus alone, that the he- birthright of heaven can be yours. It's for you. It's forever. It's for eternity. And you can hold on to that eternal birthright. It can never be sold. It can never be lost, and it can never be given away for a bowl of soup. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. And my prayer is that God will grant some of you life and a new birthright today. Do it, God. Let's pray.